prayer. Father, tonight, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll surely help me and give me strength. And uh, I pray that your spirit would minister life and that the word would be powerful tonight in this place. Give your people ears to hear, that they might hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. Give us eyes to see that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, we look to you tonight to speak to us. May we never be the same. May we make some incredible, incredible decisions, deep-seated decisions tonight concerning the subject that we're talking about. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. As we get into this, we go back to the scripture. Is this a little too loud? Is this a little, is it right for you back there? Okay. Okay. We're trying to get this thing working here. There we go. Now we go to the scriptures that we quoted last night in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. It says this. <coughs> for though we walk in the flesh, we war not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Number one, strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And last night we established the idea that number one, thoughts are in the head, right? Thoughts are in your head. This is warfare scripture. So we understand that there, therefore if thoughts are in the head, and that's what Satan uses, then therefore we know the battle's in our mind. And so thoughts are in your head. Also not only thoughts, but knowledge is in your head. Okay, we're going to talk about those two tomorrow night. And then we also know imaginations, our images are in the, in the head. They go through the eye gate, okay? And the Bible says in Lamentations uh, 3.51, it says the eye affects the heart. And so we know that through the eye gate, we receive different uh, Im, um, uh, images, and they affect us. And then we talked about strongholds last night. Can someone tell me what a stronghold is? Uh, help me out. I, I mean, I know. But, I mean, someone know from last night? Yes, sir? It's in the head. It's in the head. Yes, yes. It's a lie. It's a lie, a false idea that we believe is true. And, and we believe it's so true that we're held in bondage to that lie. And so we talked about three categories of lies. Someone tell me what one category of lies would be. One category. Yes, ma'am. Lies about God. The Bible says he speaks great words against the Most High. Yeah. Lies about yourself. He's the, he's the, he's the condemner. Yes, sir. Lies about others. He's the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation. And so Satan will lie to you in those three categories, okay? We covered that last night. Now let's move on to this thing about casting down imaginations, okay? As we talk about that. Uh, first of all, imaginations, what are they? i give you a little definition here. Imaginations come from an inventory of images that are stored up in the mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So these images that have entered our minds through the eye gate can create fantasies and a false reality. And you would not believe how powerful images are and how they're playing on you all the time. You, you're going to see tonight when we're done how important it is for us to guard our eyes and guard our hearts against images that will ultimately destroy us. That's what Satan's goal is. This is spiritual warfare. And, and he'll use images as we go through our day and try to lure us into looking at things we shouldn't look at, okay? And so imaginations, this is a, one of the most powerful ones right there, okay? And so as we think about this, 
We see, uh, as the definition is, it comes from an inventory of images that are stored up in the mind. Uh, we, through magazines that we might see. I mean, I go to the airport, or when you're in Walmart, you know where the magazines are. You know where the magazines are because your eyes have seen them. You know what I'm saying? And you know you shouldn't look at those. I mean, isn't that true? Amen? I mean, I go in the airport, and there's a counter. I go right in there every, every morning that I go to the airport on Monday morning. I go in. I buy myself a bottle of water. And right here, right here are magazines, right low, low, real low. And there are some of the terrible images, immoral images are on the front of those magazines. They used to be behind the counter, but now they're in front of little four and five-year-old boys. That's all planned, by the way. That's all planned because they want the heart of your children. And so, you know, you go in there and you got to make a conscious decision when you're going in there, okay? I know where the magazines are at. I've seen them there. And I walk up there and I buy my water and I've got, I got to guard my eyes, okay? Maybe through magazines or memories, maybe immoral images from memories in the past, moral failings, or maybe, it's a little slow here, pornography, or maybe uh, inter, through the internet, uh, some of these things are through those things. And then uh, we have uh, through movies that we might have watched, things that we've seen on television, or uh, like I said, movies. Or, and, and by the way, I will tell you this, it, it, in a little bit, you're going to understand this. You're going to get a real good biblical perspective of how important it is for you to guard yourself in your entertainment life, okay? And videos and DVDs and uh, um, billboards, I'm sorry, <laughs> this building is just not connecting real good here, okay? Uh, billboards. I was over in Philadelphia, and the pastor and I was driving by a billboard, and there was a um, there was a, a lady that was on the this the news, the anchor lady on the news, and he said that lady was kidnapped, and I'm not going to say too much about what happened to her, but anyway, she was kidnapped by a man, and what that man did was every time he told him, he said every time I drove by that billboard, I began to set up in my mind that her and I had a relationship. Until, it, you see, your brain, is, it'll trick you. And it got so ingrained in him that he began to really believe that she was his wife. So anyway, so through billboards, looking at things, inappropriate uh, things, video games, uh, uh, they're telling us now that because the video games are so real, virtual real, the video games are. And by the way, that's, that's going to be, that's a huge problem on the way. That, and we're not even talking about that in churches, the virtual reality. Uh, it, it's a terrible thing on the way. In fact, if I were you, I would never let that in my house. I would never let virtual reality be in your home. Uh, you're opening a door to your children and life that you don't even understand. Uh, well, anyway, because, real, oh, I don't have time to go there, but the, the video games are so real today. And they're telling us what, what's going to happen is the next generation of young people are going to be plagued with schizophrenia. Because schizophrenia is you creating a private world inside your head, and you live in there. And you have, other, you have, you have personalities in there. And, this, and, and when the young person does not, can't get along at school, or maybe they're not the most popular person, you know what they have now? They can create their own world and live in their own world in their head through a video game. And in the video game, they're a hero. And they're, they're, they're the basketball player that they never, they never weren't before, you know. And, and it creates a, a whole bunch of problems. In fact, it creates a whole philosophy of life. 
uh, when you have young people sitting around, adults, adult men sitting around shooting people through army games and, and anything, that, the, anything that is depraving the, the dignity of man, you shouldn't be playing a game like that. That's, honestly, you should not be doing that. And the reason is because, you know, these, these like out the Columbine shootings out there, and, and those young boys stayed up all night long playing video games, shooting. And what was the game telling them? However, however many people you kill, you win. You get points, and they weren't popular. And so what did they do? They went ahead and got wrapped up in that in their head. They loaded the guns and went to school and shot their, their schoolmates. And what was that? That was all demonic activity. Do you believe that? That's demonic activity. Satan's come to kill, steal, and to destroy. And, and, and through the images of our mind, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so you've got to guard our minds to save our heart. As we quoted earlier, Lamentations 3.51, that my eye affects my heart. And, and today, your heart was affected by something, good or bad, through the images that went through the eye gate. Now, there's a Bible study we're going to do here, and as we look at this, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says this, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's an interesting verse. And once you become vain in your images, in the imaginations of your mind, your foolish heart becomes darkened. That's, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? And so a heart with evil images will soon become shadowed over and darkened. And I've been saying this for a long time. I've been preaching this series all over the world and, and places, and, and that wasn't too awful long ago they came out that if a man goes and gets an, an MRI, as say a brain scan or MRI or whatever, and they come out, did you know that they can tell whether that man has been looking at inappropriate material on the internet by an MRI now? Because they take, yeah, they can. What happens, uh, let's see if I can explain this to you. I want you to keep in mind it says that their foolish heart was darkened. Right up here on the front lobe of the mind, what takes place in, a, in an MRI, as some, someone that's hooked on, let's say, meth or crack cocaine, their brain is stimulated by the drug that goes into their system. And when that drug goes into their system, it calls up blood, extra blood, to the front of the brain, which causes a high. That's what it does. That's where they get the high. Well, uh, if you look at the MRI of his brain, it's, you know, a normal brain is more like a, a yellowish color. Uh, it's like a tub of uh, margarine, okay? That's the texture of it. It's more plastic. Some of you are going, ooh, this is gross. Okay, I understand that, okay? And so, but anyway, just keep that in mind, okay? You got a tub of, that's why headbutting is not safe, okay? I mean, take a tub of margarine and do that to it. And you're going to see, it's not a good thing to be doing. That's why they talk like this, okay? So, so, so you got the normal brain. But now the, the guy that's hooked on crack cocaine or meth or a drug, the top, what's this? The top of his brain, the front part top, it's sunken and it's turning black and purple. And it says right there that they, it says evil imaginations, uh, it, it causes their foolish heart to be darkened. Now, so you take someone that's hooked on pornography, their brain looks just like a brain of, of, of a crack addict. It's the same. It looks just like it. I've seen the pictures of this stuff. We have a, a group of men that meet in our church. We have um, uh, six different groups, and we meet in homes. And 
61 men going through it, and it's a, it's a every other week Bible study that we do to motivate men for moral purity of mind. And, uh, and, and in that series, there's 12 videos that we go through, and we're watching these, and, and it just enlightens you on really what's happening. But anyway, this, this is what happens is, and so you could go in, if you're looking at pornography on a, on a consistent basis, you could go in and get an MRI, and the doctor may come to you and say, oh, can I ask you a question? They may ask you. Because what you're doing is, is your brain is becoming desensitized by the normal stimulations of life. And so what happens is the blood doesn't go to the top of your brain like it used to by the normal stimulation of life. So then what you have to have is something greater and something more powerful to draw that up. And then you have to have more of it. Does that make sense? So anyway, just keep that in mind. That God had already said this already, that in front of your brain, the heart was going to be darkened, okay? And then the Bible says this. It says, and thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord, let's just look what it says. The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. So, so what's the point here? The point is this. God searches and God understands all, all the images of your thought life. You're not hiding anything from God. I'm not hiding anything from God. And by the way, listen to me. I'm glad that we can't hide it from God. Because if we could, we'd do it. Yeah. Every one of you would. You'd hide your images. Amen. That's the truth. So aren't you glad that God keeps us accountable with that? Amen. And so God knows every thought that I have. In fact, uh, the fear of the Lord is an interesting subject. I won't get too much into that. But what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is this, living with the awareness that we, every thought, word, deed, action, and motive, motive that I have is being done in the presence of a holy and just and almighty God. And you know what we do? We have a lack of the fear of the Lord. Amen? We don't realize that really it's, we're doing this in the presence of our God. Amen? And so, so we got to be careful with what we take in. Proverbs 6, 16 through 18 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Hate, that's a strong word. Yea, seven abominations to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. And then it says, a heart that deviseth wicked imagination. A heart that devises images that are wicked in their mind. So what does that mean? That means this. It means... It means God's feelings are strong against these images. They're very strong against the images that we take in through the eye gate. That's why it's so important. And so Genesis says this, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that what? Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. I bet you didn't know that there were so many verses on the imaginations, did you? So we're not near done. So, but here's what he says. He says, God saw during the days of Noah that, that man's heart had every, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually, which is an interesting terminology, evil continually, meaning immoral images cause our heart to be evil continually. In other words, you can see something, see something, Take your eyes off of it. If you've allowed it to set up, you didn't deal with it, you allowed it to set up in your heart, then guess what? Your heart, your heart stays on that. And, and it, continue, it continues there, even though you're not looking at it anymore. That's why it's so vitally important here. 
And then we see Genesis 8:21. the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, guess what? This is so important, that our hearts are naturally evil, and we do not need to feed it any more evil images. I mean, whether you like it or not, your little boy's got an evil heart. I mean, thank God that when we get saved, we get a new, new heart. Amen? But listen to me. You don't need to feed the old heart. Amen? And you, these little, little kids, with, uh, kids that have phones, I, I'm amazed that the children that have phones today, that are internet acceptable, and, and, they, and mom and dad are going, no, they're going to be all right. Teenagers having phones that have internet acceptable, and, and uh, look, I, I, you gotta know your own kids. I'm not gonna raise your kids for you, but I will tell you this, is, is this thing right here, is the, this is worse than television's ever done to the church. This thing here has done worse to the church than television will ever do. In fact, I wish we could go back to the days where we just said watch television, that these things have hurt us. Deuteronomy says, And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart, saying, look what he says. He says, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart. You see, what's happening here is he's deceiving himself. Really, that's a deception is what's going on. So in other words, what's going on here is this, is a major deception of Satan is to convince us that we can have peace with these immoral images inside of our heart. I was talking to a man, it's been years, and uh, his son came to our home for trouble boys, and then the family ended up needing to come out, and they moved out, and his wife came to me, because I knew this young boy had an immoral problem with his eyes. He had, uh, he, he was, he would, you could tell that he would scan and look at girls inappropriately. And, and so, you know, to find the real problem, I called the dad in, I began to sit down, discovered that there was a generational iniquity inside their family, that the, the, the grandfather and the dad had both morally failed uh, into pornography, and, and then the wife came to me, to me and said, you know, my husband watches videos that are just totally inappropriate, and movies, and has them in the house there. And, uh, and so I went to the man. I said, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'm trying to help your son. You got two other boys. You got a little daughter there growing up underneath you. And, and you know, you're doing this activity. And, you know, what do you think about this? And he, here's what he said. He said, you know, preacher, I got peace about it. I, it doesn't, it, what's this? He says, it doesn't bother me. Now, listen, when it doesn't bother you anymore, you got a worse problem than what you think. Because now what you've done, you've gone from lasciviousness to concupiscence, and concupiscence, you've got yourself into reprobation. And reprobation is the moment in your life when you no longer have a sensitivity to that which is right or right which is wrong. And you don't have a choice. When, when you go down this road and you get that close to it, you don't have a choice anymore but to become a reprobate. Because the Bible says God will give you over to it. It's not that anymore is it by your choice. It's because you've gone against him so many times and looking at things you shouldn't look at, and sooner or later, now it's become where you can have peace and look at these things. And that's not what God's word promotes. Amen? Amen. And then we see in the scriptures it says, Jeremiah, but they hearkened not nor inclined their ear, walked on the counsels and in the ma imagination of their evil heart, and they went backward and not forward. 
That's an interesting terminology. After they're looking at these images and their evil hearts, the Bible says they start going backwards and not forwards. So what does that mean? We, when we, we will walk. Now, you notice this. We will walk in the counsels or the devices of our imaginations. Immoral images will hinder us from moving forward spiritually, causing us to backslide to where we cannot move forward, even if we want to. You can come to church. Brother Hooker can get up here, and he can preach <coughs> a life-changing message. And you can sit back there, and your heart is stirred. And so you come forward in the altar, and you say, God, this is something I want to change in my life. I want to obey what the preacher just preached. But here's the problem. Get this carefully. The problem is this. If you do not take care of this imagination problem, you, no matter how many times you come forward, God's Word says you will go backwards. You'll continue to go backwards. It won't be long. You'll be on the outside of the church looking in. And people wonder, what happened? Because this thing is such a secret sin. It's such a secret sin. And we keep it hidden because we, we know that we don't want anybody to know about this in our life. And so that we have some serious things going on. By the time most men, preacher, get to church, most men, I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about the guys that didn't come to church now, okay? All right? So I'm not talking about you. By the time the average guy gets to church and tries to get his mind cleared up and cleaned up from what he has seen during the day, it's nearly an impossible task for you to take 40 to 45 minutes and try to overcome all the images of their mind. I mean, you take in thousands, thousands, thousands. I'm talking about 10, 15, 20,000 images, more than that, really, per day. Okay, you just don't know it. Every object is an image. Everything you see is an image. It's going in. And when it goes in, it goes into your memory banks, whether you believe it or not. It goes into your memory banks. And, and how this works is this. Is it's like you have a developer in your head. You, you know, the old cameras, you had developer, okay? We have developer in your mind. And your developer is not moral and it's not immoral. Here's how your developer works. If you see something that stirs you emotionally, whether morally or immorally, it, all it does is communicate to your developer that apparently they want to remember this because they were stirred up emotionally. And so however deep you are stirred by the image is how deep it is impressed into the memory bank. Did you hear what I said? And there's, there's the problem. You know, I remember when I got married. I mean, August 7th, 1976, 4 o'clock in the afternoon at 250 East Springfield Road, First Baptist Church, St. Clair, Missouri. I'm standing down there in my dingo boots and my bell-bottom tux. Amen? That's cool. Some of y'all know what dingo boots are, don't you remember what dingo boots are? Yeah. And, and I'm down there, and the door opens up, and here comes this beautiful lady with her with her daddy, and, and they're in arms, and, and she's got this, this uh, white dress with peach color in the sleeves and peach color with flowers. Hey, that's 42 and a half years ago. I still remember the color in her dress and the flowers, man. And so I'm down there. Why? Because I'm going to tell you something. I was emotional. Amen? And I'm down there, and, and she leans over and talks to her dad a little bit, and he talks to her, and, and she goes like that. And, and I thought, well, what's going on? And then they come down there, and they said, who gives this bride? And he said, he kind of grunted and said, her mother and I. And 
And so I thought, oh, so then after we was on our honeymoon, uh, we was driving down the house. I said, what did your dad say down there when they opened the door? He said, if you want me to, I'll go down there and tell that jerk it's off. Now, so, you know, why do I remember that? Why do I remember the day my daughter, July the 14th, 1981, I remember my daughter being born at St. John's Hospital in St. Louis. Why do I remember on February the 18th, which is, you know what is today, isn't it? Today's 19th. My son's birthday was yesterday. The reason why I'm late on it, I, never mind. I, I sent him a bit, mo, a bit moji of a birthday one, but I didn't put send. So today I looked at it, so I said, you would have got this on your birthday, but I didn't put sin. I do that all the time. But anyway, I remember when he was born, February the 18th, 1983. And, and, and I remember my grandkids being born. You see, here's why, because my emotions were stirred. Amen? But when we look at pictures and they begin to stir us, whether morally or immorally, the deeper the emotion, the deeper the engraving it goes into your memory banks. And the worse the battle is going to be if it's bad images, okay? And it's going to cause you to go backwards and not forward. I promise, that's what he says. And then we see in the scriptures, and you, you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, you walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart, that, that, watch this, that they may not hearken unto me. Now what does that mean? Now, hearken's an interesting word. It's a little bit different than listen to me, okay? And so, so you may hear God, but we, you will not be able to hearken to his voice. We used to have a little boy that played with my son in the backyard. His name was Chip. And they'd be down there in the sandbox. I built the sandbox for him, and they'd be down there playing. And Chip's mom would come out down the road, and she'd go, Chip, Chip. And he'd just keep playing. And my son would say, your mom's calling you. And he goes, that's all right. He'd keep playing. Then she said, Chip, Chip Allen. Well, when she said Chip Allen, they'd pick up his toys and we'd go. And my, my son would say, you know, you just ought to be glad my mom's not your mom. You, know, you get to the middle name, it's going to be death. It's a death sentence when you go home. You know what his problem was? Is he could hear her, but he, he didn't hearken to her. And that's the frustrating, very frustrating for a believer to be able to hear God, but not hearken to him. You lose the ability to hearken to the voice of God. You lose the ability. It's so frustrating because you, you still have the Spirit, and He's spoken to when the preaching goes on, but you, or you read, and you still, but you can't, you can't bring obedience to the Word, okay? You just become a hearer, no longer a doer of the Word. Jeremiah 18, 12, and they said, there's no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we, listen to the statement, and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Well, what's that saying to us? It means the images of a man's heart will dictate his actions. That's what it says. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Yeah. It says, you will everyone, you're going to do the imaginations of your hearts. Whatever's in your heart, you're going to do it. Now you say, preacher, what do you mean? I mean, you know, listen, I, I've been in this 42 years of preaching the gospel, been counseling for decades, and meeting with people that have, have serious problems. I'm mean, so, so bad. I remember a couple coming to me. They sat in my office. The pastor asked me if I'd meet with them, and I'm talking to them. And he had spent eight years in the penitentiary for immoral activity with his children. Eight years. And then here he is, he's out now, and he's meeting with me, and, 
and the church is trying to find, figure out how to reconcile with him, and, and so they sent him to go through, and I got done counseling. I, I sent, had him to go out. I told the wife, I said, now I'm going to tell you something. Do not let him be around your grandchildren because he's not listening to me. I can tell he's not connected to what I'm saying. And I was preaching in that state another time, and I went by a place to get a cup of coffee, and she was in that place, and I saw her there, and I said, hey, how are you doing? And how's your husband? And she hung her head and began to weep, and she said, well, he messed up with all of our grandkids. He's in for life. Now look at me. Now in your mind, you think that's so bad of him to do that. I think it's bad of him to do it too. But wait a second. Listen to me carefully. There was never a time in that man's life when he was an 8-year-old boy, 9-year-old boy, 10-year-old boy, and in his heart he said, when I grow up, I'll tell you what I'm going to be, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do, and I hope it puts me in the penitentiary the rest of my life. That was never his goal. That was never his goals. You know what his goals was? To be a baseball player, or a fireman, or a policeman, or a doctor, or whatever, a carpenter. But you know what happened was imaginations, images from his dad's closet stash, magazines. He began to discover them and found himself in there, and it went on through his life until it got into the Internet, and then he got so addicted to it that, guess what? The Bible tells us everyone will do the imagination of his evil heart. In other words, you will not be in charge of what you do. The images will be in charge of what you do. You said, never me. I guarantee you, he said the same thing. Never me. Amen? And then we see in the scriptures, the Bible tells us, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you, that make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. So what they're about to say is not of God. He says, they say unto them that despise me. He says, the Lord hath said, the Lord didn't say it, but they said that. Ye, have had, ye shall have peace, and they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. You know what they're preaching? They're preaching, you can look at anything you want, and you're going to be okay, because you're not hurting anybody but yourself. And so some deceive themselves into thinking that they can have peace inside of themselves, and no evil is going to come upon them while they walk in the images of their mind. It's going to bleed out of you someday. It's going to show up one of these days in your activities. And so we, we just see so many scriptures here uh, concerning the subject of imaginations. <coughs> Excuse me. Our churches are being embarrassed by the satanic attack. A week seldom goes by without a call from a pastor whose ministry has not been broadsided, has been broadsided and nearly destroyed by the central spirit. I'm talking about all across our country. It's a, it's a nightmare deal going on. You hear me? I, I don't have time. I can tell you story after story. They call me up and say, would you come and counsel people? You get there and you find out it's such a mess. It's all because somebody didn't understand how powerful imaginations and images are in the heart of a man or woman. It's crazy how it does. The images of our minds, they control us. Again, we quote this verse a lot. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
And so the pure lordship of Jesus Christ is assaulted through the defeated minds of God's children. Jesus wants to be Lord of your mind, amen? But you assault him every time you give in to looking at something you know you're not supposed to be looking at. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. Let's talk about this, the power of being conformed to the image of your focus. That's quite a, a statement. I have a whole message on this, but I'm just going to inject a little bit of that message in right here. The Bible tells us in the scriptures, it says, but we all with open face beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Let's talk about that just real, real brief, okay? When it says there, but we all with open face, that means this. It means I have no veil over me, no hypocrisy. I'm going to be totally transparent. That's what it means, open face. As in a glass, the word glass is the same word that we would use for mirror. They didn't have mirrors back then. They had glass, and they would put a black piece of cloth behind it, which would cause somewhat of a reflection to do their hair in or whatever, okay? You understand? And so what he says that we all with no, nothing over our face, no veil, no hypocrisy, transparent, looking in the mirror. And James says the, the Bible is the mirror of God's word. This is the mirror of God's word. And so he says, as we with open face look into the mirror of God's word, we see the glory of the Lord. And when you see the glory of the Lord, you are changed into the same image that you're focusing on. That's what it does. <coughs> That's been the, the, the great, great key of victory in my life is looking into the mirror of God's word so much that it changes me into the same image that I'm looking at. And so as by the spirit of the Lord, it says, amen. Well, guess what? It works on a negative way, too. Because if you're looking at something wrong and you focus on that and you spend clicking and clicking and going one image to the next image after the next image, and the Bible tells this principle still works in that realm, too. You become to be changed to the same image that you're focusing on there, too. Whatever you focus on, your image changes into what you focus on. I mean, think about teenagers today. And many of them, once they start focusing on a certain group, maybe a rap group or a music group, you'll begin to notice they begin to, they begin to their, their image changes to the image that they focus on. You hear me? And so this is what happens. You're going to, it's, you're going to change to that same image, okay? We'll leave that alone for right now. <coughs> now, the authority and the confidence to speak in the power of the Holy Ghost is weakened every time we give in to opening the doors to central images. And it's very important to understand this as, as we talk about this subject of authority and confidence, as fathers talking to our children, as mothers and spiritual leadership inside of a church, okay? Uh, we see that really, um, what, what is authority and what is confidence? Okay, let me, let me say this. Authority is something God gives, puts on a life. Sometimes what we think is authority is position. The lowest form of authority is positional authority. In other words, when I go to my children, now nah, my kids are all raised, so I don't go to them hardly at all. I'm glad they're raised. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I've been, had, I had the empty nest syndrome for 17, 18 years now. And someone said, well, how'd that go for you? you hey, I was, I was booting them out, brother, as soon as I could. Amen. But, you know, when, when you... Authority comes from God. As your dad, a, a, a husband, you're the head. You're the head. Am I right? Is that okay? Okay. You're the head. 
And just because you have that position does not mean you have authority. Now, you should have authority, but when you look at things you're not supposed to look at, it decreases the amount of authority you have in your voice has in the heart of your children. Because, because God detracts authority off of you. Do you hear me? We are spiritual authorities. Spiritual authorities. When you are a carnal authority, then you can only, the, the Bible says that, that they that are carnal mind the things of the flesh. Amen. And, and the Bible says that when you're carnal, you cannot do God's will. You cannot obey the law. Did you know that? The carnal man cannot obey God. The Bible says, and neither indeed can he. The carnal man. So if you're a dad tonight and you're morally failing through the images of the eye gate, taking in things, and then you go sit down with your son and you begin to tell him, you know, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to be. You, do you understand? And then your son goes directly against you and you go, you know, I taught that boy. You know what happened was is you don't have authority in your voice anymore from God. And so you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. That's what children hear when a dad is not in line and tune with the Spirit. When a dad is in line with the Spirit, his voice is it's, it's a miracle. It's a supernatural thing. It, it, I'm telling you, your children will take heed to your voice because there's an anointing on your authority because things are right between you and God. And you can get up and preach a message all you want. You can teach the youth department and teach. But if you're piddling around with this stuff on the side, it's detracting the authority off of your life. And you can't figure out why the teenagers don't want to follow you. Can't figure, you know, it's just a bunch of teenagers. It's teenagers today. You know what I contend is this, is if good leadership, and I'm not talking about just uh, strong leadership, I'm talking about spiritual, walk with God, anointed authority would be in the life of our children. Our children would not be so apt to go astray. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so... It interrupts that authority and that confidence to speak. I mean, I'm thinking right now as I'm standing before you, you know, when I go to my motel room, it's just how it happens. I'm transparent, okay? I walk in my motel room, and I walk in there, and I walk by that TV, just like that TV right there in my motel room. And it's amazing. A little motel room has a TV that big, you know? Like, you, like everybody's blind. They can't see it, you know? I walk in. I go by that thing. That thing talks to me. I do. I go over there and start. I, and when I get in the motel room, I'm kind of weird, okay? I put everything in the drawers. I hang everything up. I, it's, I set up like I'm going to live there next year. Man, everything's just, just right. I go, and, and while I go by that TV, that TV says, turn me on. I, I hear it in here. And I go, no. No, come on. Turn me on. No, come on. Turn me on. Now, look at me. If I spent my day, and I was in my motel room several hours, okay, today, not many hours today, all but about, about an hour and a half we had together. I was in my motel room except for an hour and a half today. Now, look, if I was in my motel room and I'm watching inappropriate things and I come here tonight to speak to you, do you understand what would happen? The authority and the anointing to teach you would not be here. Now, the enemy wants me to lose that authority. 
Amen? Sure it does. Our children wonder why their daddy and mommy keep fighting over the internet. They can't figure it out. They hear mom yelling at dad, what are you looking at? And the dad, I'm not looking at anything. Don't you trust me? They've seen daddies on the internet, and they picked up on the things that the parents were watching on television, and they can't figure it out. Listen to me. Don't mix the message for your children. Don't mix the message for them. There's not such a thing as adult entertainment. I mean, what, I mean, someone says, well, when you're 18, you can look at this. And when you're 21, you can look at that. Seriously? Is that how we're going to set things up? We got men in churches today that are 42-year-old, 12-year-olds. And we got 12-year-olds in our church that are 42-year-old in adulthood. It's not by an age. And that's all crazy for us to ever try to cut that. Hey, you kids go upstairs. Mom and I are going to watch this movie. That's crazy. What's good for a 12-year-old is what's good for a 52-year-old. And what's bad for a 52-year-old is what's bad for a 12-year-old. Amen? Sure. And, and so we got to get, we got to really, look, this whole session is, come on, wake up. That's what it's all about, okay? Think about this. Every day, 5,000 new portal pop-ups are put on the Internet. 5,000 new ones every day. That's 35,000 a, a week, Okay. 35,000 a week, and what does that mean? It's 1.8 million per year put out there. At the click of your children's phone, your teenager's phone. Now, I don't, teenagers, if you're here tonight, don't get mad at me, but if I was a parent tonight and my children had a phone, I'd tell you what I would do. I would put coveted eyes on their phone. It's a filter system, Okay. And secondly, I would collect their phone at 10 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night. I would put it in my bedroom. They don't need to be sitting in their bedroom texting some girl or guy from their bed. Come on. Amen? Sure. It's a nightmare. You just don't realize what you're building right there. It's going on. <clears throat> there are 420 million porno websites now. That means what? That means we now have at least one porno website per American and have a million left over, almost. Is this crazy or what? And yet, do you know, if I had, I mean, this is how simple this is, but if I had this book out there and was selling it on your table, Brother Hooker, and yet, you know, let's say that I had uh, just one small immoral picture in it, just one. And you, somebody says, I bought this last night, Brother Hooker, and it's got this image. What's the deal? And you come and say, what are you doing? And yet your kids are walking around with something that has 420 million websites on it. You with me? Amen. You see, we got duped into something, didn't we? We have. We've been tricked into this. One out of every five children who have access to the Internet will be sexually solicited by someone they do not know by the time that they're eight years old. Now, you ponder that. Just ponder that a little bit. I had a call from a girl. I can't give you details, but i give you very little. But anyway, a call from a family wanted to send a girl to the home. And so we took her in, I began to counsel her, and the story went like this. She was on the internet at night, her parents didn't monitor anything, they just believed in her, and, and then she got hooked up with some guy that was 21 on the internet, she was 16, 
and she began to communicate with him, and then he said, she said something about going to be at her grandparents at a certain state, and uh, so <clears throat> over the Christmas, he said, well, I'm in the state next to that. He goes, how about I just come down and see you when you're at your grandparents' house? She so said, well, my parents wouldn't really appreciate that. He said, well, I'll just pull up front, and, and after, you, after you go to bed that night, after everybody goes to bed on Christmas Eve, just come out, and we'll chat a little bit, and then you can go back in the house. Well, she did that. She went out and got in the car, but he took off with her, and she was gone for two weeks. They found her in a motel room in California. Through the Internet, she was being solicited. Seven out of ten men in the church pews are viewing pornography on a consistent basis. That's 70% of the men that go to church are looking at pornography on a consistent basis. That may not be this church. But across the board, Baptists, evangelicals, or whatever you want to call them, are looking at pornography on a consistent basis, 70% of the men. Six out of ten pastors, missionaries, and evangelists that we counsel, not, not everyone, but that we counsel, are coming to our place to seek deliverance from pornography. <clears throat> Here's what happens. Is we get wounded. We get wounded maybe in our marriage. Our wife's and you not getting along. Or maybe a, a pastor in a church, and the church does something to hurt him. And there's a natural thing in all of us to medicate our wounds. And you have, I don't have time to get into all the scientific and the chemical stuff that goes on, but you have within you, let's just call them endorphins right now, you have some endorphins in you that when you're wounded, that if you could get the blood to rush to the front of your brain and give you an immediate high, it relieves you of your pain. And now we have an epidemic. It's no longer just a moral problem. It's that we are addicted to our own endorphins. And it's just like any drug. And the more you look, then you get addicted to that level of endorphins, the more you have to look more to get another high. It's like crack cocaine. <clears throat> By the way, I don't have the statistic up here, but they're saying now it's staggering. 30% of women in the church are looking at it consistently. The average age of first internet exposure to pornography is 11 years old. 90% of 9 to 16 year olds have viewed it on, online. 80% of 15 to 17 year olds are involved in multiple hardcore exposure. It's worse than we thought, isn't it? One out of every four girls between the age of 12 and 15 are looking at explicit graphic pornography. And believe it or not, two out of every four boys, that's 50% of the boys between the ages of 12 and 15. By the time that you run a bus and pick up little boys and girls and you bring them into your church, those little boys and girls in your church that come to your church, they are under the warfare of images. besides maybe those that are teaching them. Staggering, isn't it, folks? 
There's an estimated 750,000 child predators on the internet at any given time communicating through Facebook and other sites with young boys and girls. That's three quarters of a million of them are on the internet looking for your children who have phones and access to internet. Every day, 200 new child porno pictures are put on the internet. So what does that mean? 73,000 children are exploited. And now what we have, we have an epidemic of child sex trafficking. A quarter of a million children are being taken off our streets every year and lost. And you know, I, I mean, I would like to stand here and tell you that's the world out there. My problem is so much stuff is surfacing in the churches. I think there's a scripture. You know what it means. It's the, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He says, there are certain things that ought not to be so. These are the things that ought not to be so in you, in your life. Uh, I like these pictures. Uh, the two kids are faking praising God. Okay, they're not that spiritual. Those are my grandkids. I... Uh, I did get a text from the girl in the left-hand corner. Her name's Andrea. She's 16 years old. She's my granddaughter, obviously. Oldest granddaughter I got. And uh, the boy's named Ethan there. But anyway, he, she just texted me. I was reading it to you. When I read text. My granddaughter texted me uh, at 10.15 the other night. And, uh, and I, I leave my phone on in case some emergency or something. And so it bleeped. I got up and it says, Dear Grandpa, I'm so proud of you. This is awesome. I wish I could just tell you. It said, said you've made such a change in people's lives and my life. And she just uh, got saved at youth camp last uh, summer. And uh, she, she thought she was saved, but she really got saved, okay? And, uh, and so just a neat text. But anyway, there they are praising God, faking it, okay? And, um, and then uh, the, the daughter, my daughter's in the front there on the bottom left-hand corner. Her name's Jamie. And, uh, and then her husband is Shane. Uh, he's six foot seven, she's four foot 11. And um, it's, yeah, that's what I did when I, God showed me that they were gonna get married. I thought, wow, that's cool. I remember at their wedding, it was pretty neat. At uh, their wedding, I was, because I had to do the wedding, you know, I'm the preacher and I'm the dad, so I had to walk her down the aisle. And I had one of those, I think one of the staff guys says, who gives this brightness, or her mother and I. And then I'm standing there, and I look at him. I look at him, and I said, look, buddy. I'm telling him right there, you better take care of her. And uh, so I did the wedding. I got done with the, the, all the stuff, all the stuff. Now it's time to say, you know, you may kiss the bride. All right, present to you, Mr. and Mrs. Shane Snitcher, S-C-H-N-I-T-T-J-E-R. I mean, well, good night, you know. I mean, just, I just told, I said, keep our name, Smith. <laughs> Don't go snitcher. Snitcher. <laughs> that's, you know, 
That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? But anyway. So I'm up there, and I'm not going to watch them kiss. Okay? There ain't no way. I mean, so they're back there in the back. They've lit the candle. I step up to the front of the platform with them behind me. And I said, normally I have a couple come in front of me, but I'm not going to watch that, you know? So I step up and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I proudly present to you, Mr. and Mrs. Shane Snitcher, you may kiss the bride. I'm standing there looking at the crowd, and people start snickering and laughing. And I'm like, what have I done? So I thought, what'd I do? What'd I say? Did I say his name wrong? Because I've done that. <laughs> you goof off so much, you say it wrong, you know? And I turn around, and her bridesmaids have gone off, and they brought a three-foot stepladder out that's decorated, and she's on top of the stepladder, and she's kissing him. <laughs> Get this. She jumped off of it. He caught her and carried her out. Isn't that great, huh? Well, I'm crying, you know. That girl, Andrea, and Ethan are so affectionate to me. When I see Andrea, she's going to come up to me and she'll say, Papa, I sure missed you this week. She goes to my Christian school. I see her every day. My grandson, Ethan, he's into making knives. He's bought his own forge. He heats up railroad spikes, makes hand knives out of all kinds of stuff. He's really good at it. The other day, he brought a... a, a a knife to me, they made for me. So if someone ever comes in your office, Papa, you got him. <laughs> Use this knife. But he gives, I mean, he's, he's 14 years old, he gives me a big hug every time he sees me. In fact, in the text the other day, yesterday, it said, thank you for telling me you love me and giving me a hug. It means so much to me. Now look, don't you think that those kids deserve a holy grandfather? Come on, talk to me. Don't you think my kids deserve a holy dad? Let's look at another one. Show off my family. Okay. This is Marvin uh, the fourth. He's the guy with the, in the middle. And that's Anna, his wife. His wife was from L.A. She was a runaway. And she came to my home in 1998 as a teenager, runaway teenager. And uh, Desi is his oldest daughter. She's 15 now. And that's the one on the right. The little guy on the right is Marvin the fifth, okay? We're real creative with our names and our family. <laughs> and then next to the left of Anna is Shelly, and she's just now going into the youth department this year. And then Tori is, uh, Victoria is what we call it, Tori. And they're, they're an incredible family, and he's my assistant. And they all work for me. All these kids work for me. It's incredible. And, uh, and, and wouldn't it be sad? Wouldn't it, think about this. Wouldn't it be sad if I said to Desi, Tori, Shelly, Andrea, hey, jump in the car, and I'll take you all to go get ice cream. And my son and my son-in-law come over to me and said, hey, look, <coughs> you can't be in the car with them alone. because we know what you've been looking at. Wouldn't that be a bad deal? They gotta be able to trust us. Gentlemen, they gotta be able to trust us. 
And people in our church need to be able to trust us. Amen? This activity will destroy the minds of our future generation. They will defile its, it, it, they'll be defiled by its evil powers. I don't want this to pass down from generational iniquities into my children. Amen? No, I don't. This is Andrea a long time ago, that 16-year-old girl. This is her standing in our offices. That door back there is my office. If you ever want to come see me, just go through that door right there, okay? I asked Andrea, I'm sitting in my wife's desk, and I said, Andrea, how much do you love me? She said, I love you that much, Papa. Now, she'd been doing that all of her life. She would go, I love you that much. Wouldn't it be terrible for my granddaughter not to be able to do that? Huh? And then, this is my wife and I, and if you have a problem, she's the one on the right. Okay? Just if you can't tell. Um, I'm away from my wife 100 nights out of the year. My wife would know if I'm dabbling in something because we're that connected. And your wife knows. She deserves my whole heart. And when I walk home this week, I, I'm not going to walk home. <laughs> I'm going to fly home. And what I mean is when I walk in the office Thursday, I'll get there somewhere. I'll get in the airport about 1130. It's two, almost two-hour drive. So it'll be 130 in the afternoon Thursday. I'll walk in the office, and my wife will be right there at her desk. And when I walk in, my wife will come over and put her arms around me. She'll give me a hug. And you know, you know something? I want to be able to look her in the eyes and know this week has been a victorious week in my life. Amen? This is of the utmost importance, what I'm talking about. What's beautiful about this thing is I've never had my wife question me. She has the right to. I told her to. My son is my accountability partner. In other words, if he comes into my office and wants to get on my laptop, he can get on my laptop anytime. And he's a, he's a computer geek. He could find anything that I've been looking at if he wants to. You with me? My laptop, my phone, and my iPad are connected to my wife's iPhone, iPad, and computer. Everything that I look at shows up in her history. You say, why do you do that? You got a problem? Yeah, same one you got. I want to finish well. I've blown it many different times in my life. But I want to finish this thing well. Amen? So when we talk about warfare, sometimes we think about demons and stuff moving and, you know, the, the extreme cases. He's not normally in that realm doing that. He's doing it through strongholds and imaginations. Why does he do it that way? He gets no credit for it. He doesn't want credit for it. Satan never wants credit for what he's doing. I finished with this. We had a couple guys in my Bible college. 
and I happened to go out to the college that day and uh, these guys around 20, 18, 19, 20 years old, they, they talk pretty big. And, and I didn't go down the steps quite yet. I heard them talking, so I stopped behind the corner. You know, I do that quite often. And one guy goes like this. He goes, man, I worked 20 hours this week and took 14 hours of Bible college. I am so stinking tired. <laughs> I thought, Psh. And this other guy goes, that ain't nothing. Don't you, you hate people when they go, that ain't nothing. You know, it's like, what you said is just stupid. The next guy goes, I'm working 40 hours a week. I'm taking 17 hours of Bible college. And the next guy, I couldn't believe it. Get this. He said, I'm taking a full load, and I put 172 hours in this week at work. <laughs> so I go to the corner. I said, wait, 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 wait. There's only 168 hours in a week. Now watch this. Two funnies coming. One, the guy goes, yeah, we worked overtime. <laughs> I did what you did, but what bothered me more than anything, the other two guys were like this, oh. And they walked off, and I'm going, this is the future of America's churches, you know? See, we work 24 hours a day. We think we do anyway. We think we're really hard workers, but we're not. And, and, and uh, point making is this. We want credit for what we do. Right. Satan works 24-7, and does ne he never wants you to point your finger at him and say, you're the one behind this. You're the one doing this one. You hear me? All right, let's pray together. And Father, we thank you for the Bible.